Do you want to start your intro? Because I got a good one today. Ooh, okay. It's witchcraft. It's 4.20 a.m. Hi, and welcome to episode 54 of The Stoned Witches Hour. On this podcast, two best friends on opposite coasts of the USA get together to tell each other true-ish tales of spine-tingling terror, paranormal ghosties, and... Don't forget my cryptids! Always, always the queen of cryptids on the East Coast, my co-host Shell. And today, bringing you the finest THC crystal-coated ganja, I'm Layla. And I am Shell, who's still smoking up broken-up pre-rolls. <laughs> oh, the thrifty saver Shell today. I, I'm being thrifty, I'm being thrifty, but I have got... I've got this good weed. I've got a good cryptid story today. Yay! We're on fire today. So we're going to start with the smokage. Yes, we'll start with the smoking fire that we've got today. I'm going to go first just because I'm kind of doing a repeat. So I had gotten a bag from a friend, you know, that kind of thing. Don't know what it is. Can't Those are the you. good kinds of friends to have. Right. So that was doing really, really good. And everything was all hunky dory and happy and chipper with that. But then I was like, oh, we're going to record today. So why don't I break open one of these last couple of pre-rolls I have? Nice. Because, you know, that's what Shell does. Shell doesn't smoke a pre-roll. She breaks it open and packs a pipe with it. So I did that right before. And I'm just, I'm there. I've been, I've been smoking my friend's stuff all morning. I just smoked a big old fat pipe of my Shit, I can't even think of the name of it. <laughs> I always smoke. I want to say Everclear, but that's liquor. Endgame. Endgame. End Lovely, delicious endgame. And it's got me super chatty. So I'm ready to talk. I'm ready to get ghosty and spooky and scary. But I need to know, what are you smoking this week? Well, you know, I think this must be the week of friend given weed because I'm actually Ooh. smoking some homegrown that originated from a gelato cross that I was given as clones. So I was given these photo period gelato cross clones, not really sure what their actual parentage is. I just know they're purple and very tasty. And uh, so a fellow grower knew of my affinity for gelatos and said that he had this beautiful mutt that he had bred and uh, <laughs> <laughs> had a few too many clones. And I don't mind a mutt as long as that's what you tell me it is that you don't know. You know, because they're clones, we knew how they were going to turn out. They're all going to be very uniform, just like the parent that they came from. So I knew these were going to be purple and delicious and grow pretty quickly. And they did indeed. So anyway, I'm smoking some homegrown, freshly cured, very delicious gelato of unknown parentage, purple Dank goodness. You still have higher expectations out of your friends than I do. I'm just <laughs> hey, buddy, how much for how much? <laughs> don't ask any other questions because we all know that you don't know. I don't know. We don't know. Just how much for how much? Let's just cut to the chase here, folks. And when I resort to that, I'm never done wrong. I'm never done dirty. It's always really good. But don't ever, ever ask me what it is because I have no clue. But it's tasty. I will say, though... You know how sometimes you get that weed that almost has that, like, gassy smell? Oh, yeah. It tastes almost exactly like gasoline smells. And it's it's sharp. It's pungent. Despite the name gas, it's almost like a clean taste. Yeah. It's kind of a cross between it smells a little gassy and it smells like the dankest dankity dank. 
Ooh, I love those. <laughs> you know when you get that gas and that green dank smell, you know you are in for a very, very good ride. And the other thing I want to point out about buying from a friend down the road is that you go back to your original packaging that is not as horrific to the environment. I see that packaging. You have the tried and true, the OG sandwich, sandwich bag. bag. <laughs> I love it. Lock, the kind that you have to lick it to seal it. <laughs> oh, back to my roots. Back to my roots. The pile of sandwich baggies is always going to be much smaller than the glass and the plastic that you get from the dispensary. (laughs) Bring back old-fashioned packaging. And you know me. I'm always that sucker who's trying to reuse that freaking bag like 96 times until it's so saturated with like not even resin per se, but just like residue that you can't even see through the bag anymore because it's like a shade of green. That's when I knew people that would take, now maybe not those really thin sandwich baggies, but the ones that are a little bit thicker. I knew people that would take a razor blade to the inside of that just to scrape off all the keef and the crystals (laughs) that were there. (laughs) That's back when weed wasn't, yeah, those were the days when weed was not as easy to come by. But speaking of going on a a pretty good trip, I actually want to read an email for you, Shell, that we got. And, you know, we occasionally get emails from our listeners. Good stories, bad stories. This is kind of a bad story. And I feel a little bad for this person. So I thought I'd read this email. And maybe you and I have some ideas for this person, Shell. Oh, boy. Okay. Bring it on. Lay it on me. All right. They say, hi, my name is Kay. And I'm currently binging the podcast. So I have two weed stories to share. Both are first-time experiences. So I used to date a huge stoner, like never not high stoner. Hey. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, I was new to smoking and had no tolerance. He decided to get some edibles that his friend had made. There's your first bad boyfriend. I'm already I'm already saying bad boyfriend, and I haven't even heard the rest of the story. Just you know damn well that if your friend made those edibles, they're probably either not potent at all. Or potent as fucking all get out. Or you might as well get on a rocket and go to moon right now because That's you're right. going to be flying. Just, you know, write off 12 to 20 <laughs> hours and uh, call it a day and then don't eat the edible and it's about the same thing. So <laughs> she says, unbeknownst to me, he didn't really know how to make edibles. The brownie batter he had made wasn't stirred well enough. So some were weak and some were super potent. Oh, geez. Guess who got a fucking potent one? Okay, I'm so sorry. (laughs) I'm jealous, but I feel bad. For like half an hour, I didn't feel anything. Then the high truck hit me hard. I I love that, the high truck. (laughs) Got hit by the high truck. Unfortunately, this one ran her over and didn't pick her up and give her a lift. She says, I didn't know what my name was anymore or where the fuck I was. My ex thought it would be a good idea to take me home. Well, yeah. Once I was there, I started getting sick, like puking until I couldn't breathe anymore. That poor thing. Hey, you poor thing. This went on for what felt like forever till I finally passed out. I woke up 10 hours later because my dad woke me up. I was more confused than I had ever been. I texted my ex asking where he was. His response was that I had completely passed out and I was in God's hands now. Okay bad boyfriend dump his ass <laughs> wow wow who says that like you don't yeah that's bad stoner code i still can't do brownie edibles to this day so first of all edibles rules always know who made it and secondly just take a very small bite especially if you don't know what your tolerance is and definitely if you don't know what the potency of the edible is just take a very small bite 
the greener it tastes, odds are the more potent it's going to be or just the shittier it is because they didn't strain it proper. But always start with a small bite. Shell has a two-prong opinion here. First of all, if you're going to eat edibles, just go to the store. Just go to the store. You're better off. You know what you're getting. Yeah, your first experience should never, never be with one that your friend made. Yeah. And then second of all, I know that Layla likes edibles. She's made edibles. But me, I have no interest. Edibles don't do shit for me. I don't like them. They kind of more give me a bellyache than I don't get high at all from them. And I've had it enough times from enough different multiple sources, including a store that I can tell you they just don't do shit for me. So I just avoid them. I'm going to add something to that pretty quickly. Uh, There are two different types of people when it comes to edibles. Eating edibles processes THC differently. It goes through your liver and there's an enzyme that breaks down the THC to make it psychoactive in your blood. That's why it, it takes a little longer and it stays longer. However, not everyone has the chemical or enough of the chemical to properly break down the THC in their liver. And so they will not. No, that means you're pretty common. It's pretty common. Oh, Oh, I don't want to be common either. (laughs) It's pretty normal. I don't know. I'd have to look it up and see if I could find the exact percentage. It is relatively common that people will not have the body chemistry to allow their body to break down the THC in an edible. And so they won't get high or as high from an edible and shell is an example of that. So could someone like, so if I don't have that, could someone have an overabundance of it that just makes them go off the rails when they have it? Absolutely. And some, especially in the beginning, the first time you eat it, it's going to hit you like a weed truck. What did she say? Like a tea, the high truck, it's going to hit you like yeah. the high truck. Uh, and you're not going to have a good experience. You're going to have what's called greening out. And that is not fun for anybody. CBDs didn't sound fun in her email. No, it doesn't sound fun at all. CBDs, whether smoked, eaten, sublingual under your tongue can help a great deal. Keep eating them. (laughs) Uh, Black pepper. If you can sniff some black pepper, sometimes that can help you come down a little bit. But for the most part, it's sleep and time. Stay comfortable, eat something, move around, have someone with you who's not going to leave you alone and say it's in God's hands now. The other thing is drink fluids, always drink fluids, keep yourself hydrated regardless, especially if you're throwing up, you need to replace that liquid, man. Yep. So unfortunately, this was not Kay's last bad experience. Oh, shit. Really? Really? Yeah, Matt. So the second story was her first time doing dabs. The same ex. I'm so thankful. Can I just thank all the guys? I am glad that, that she is saying that it's her ex. <laughs> this dude is a fucking, uh, fuck, not our people. There you go. Not our people. Maybe a stoner. Not our not people. Not our people. So the same ex invited her over to smoke with him and his brother and offered her a dab. And she didn't know what she was doing. So the ex gave her a dab the size that he would normally do. Oh, my God. Lord have mercy. (laughs) And of course, she didn't know because she's new and we've already established the exes. And once you put your mouth on it, you just suck until your lungs are full. So how would she have known? She's not going to know. And she's not going to know the potency of that. You know, a a small dab is very, very potent. And you wouldn't know if you people don't know. You know, I'd just like to interject something real quick here. People confuse the potency of a dab they equate it to a bong. Doing a doing a dab and smoking a bong, not not the same. Apples and oranges, man. You know, you might have a dab rig that looks like a bong. That does not equate it to smoking a bong, folks. 
Very often you'll hear Shell and I talk about smoking THC that is 28 to 34%, which is extremely high. Most people smoke THC is around 18 to 20% is considered high. But we're smoking flour. That's flour. Now dabs is a concentrate, which is just the THC. And very often it'll be 90% or higher THC. So one hit, one lungful from flour is very, very different it could be as much as four or five times different from a dab rig. Even even me, who's smoked for thirty years, I could do a I could take one hit off a dab, and I'm a one hit wonder man. Mm, I love dabs. Anyway, <laughs> so unfortunately, our friend Kay did not have a kind and nice and educational introduction to the wonderful world of dabs. The ex gave her a big, huge dab, and of course, she started coughing a ton and yeah. felt like she was dying. When she was done coughing, she says, I was in fucking space. I believe it because that was a cough to get off, like not even in a good way. Yeah. So after that, his mom came home, whom she had not yet met. The mother of the boyfriend that she hasn't even met yet comes home while she's in outer space from dab hits. We're officially calling this guy. That's his new name. And I hope he's a listener and knows that we're talking about him. (laughs) So the mom comes home with pizza. And this poor girl had to be shown how to sit in a chair. And then once she started eating the pizza, she says it was the best. She was moaning like a weirdo (laughs) to the point where her ex asked her if she was okay. (laughs) No, no, I'm not okay. Right. Her response was, I just really love pizza. She probably did in that moment. She probably loved pizza more than she loved anything on the planet. I bet. And of course, that was his mother's first impression of her. Thanks, X. She says, dabs are still not my thing, and I still love pizza. So at least something came out of it. Now, my question is, is does Kay still smoke anything? I'm not sure. I'm going to follow up with Kay and find out. So Kay, take a look in your inbox. You should have an email from the Stone Witches Hour in response to your terrible, terrible time. We feel awful that you had such a terrible time smoking. If you ever want to do edibles or dabs with us, we will take you in, take you under our wing, and help make sure that you do it in a responsible and safe and fun way. And you know what, Kay? I've got a special surprise for you. I'm appalled at this (coughs) that you gave him your love and heart to, and he just treated you like a (coughs) So... If you've been binging our episodes, you've heard about what I do to people. (laughs) Okay. And this guy has actually pissed me off. Oh, no. If you need him to have an itchy, fiery asshole, you just respond in your email and we'll get you handled. (laughs) I got you, Kay. I got you. Because this guy, this guy's a fuck. You don't do that to people. You know, if anyone deserves an itchy asshole, it is this guy. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Kay, you you reach out. I got you. (laughs) So, Kay, take a look in your inbox. We'll have an email for you and a way to get in touch with us if you need Shell's itchy asshole spell. That's right. Now, Kay did leave us with one positive thing. She says she knows about an asylum called Ashmore Estates in Illinois. I'm going to write this down. She says it's very ghostly and Ghost Adventures did an episode on it, which is perfectly timely, Kay, because my story today is just outside of Chicago, Illinois. Ooh, what's your story? 
So first, I want to say thank you, Kay, so much for writing in. I'm so sorry you had a terrible experience. And we love that you are a new witch and binging our episodes. We'll send you some good spells. If not, make your ex have an itchy asshole. We'll at least help you to uh, find a better partner in the future. (laughs) Kay, you're the best. You rock and you reach out. I got you. Shell's got your back. So we're not going to Kay's place of Ashmore Estates in Illinois in this particular episode. But my story is in Illinois. It's in a place called Emden, which is about 25 miles outside of Chicago, Illinois. And it's a haunted cemetery shell. Ooh, I love those. Now, can you just quick, I saw this thing the other day and I feel like I'm dumb. This is appalling to me. What's the difference between a cemetery and a graveyard? Because apparently I don't know. So a cemetery means sleeping place. And it and it literally is a place where people are laid to rest. And it commonly refers to, it originally referred to like the Roman catacombs. So it basically just meant any place where people, dead people were laid to rest. Whereas a graveyard more specifically refers to um, a cemetery within a churchyard. So it's more specifically to a church. I got you. Okay. Makes more sense. Continue on. (laughs) So we're going to be going to a haunted cemetery and get this shell. Guess what? What? It is the most haunted cemetery in in the the United States. (laughs) I didn't know if they were going big on this one in the whole world. They do say possibly the whole world. The real question is, do they say they have a gates of hell there? No, but they say there's a cryptid. Ooh, really? Oh, yes. This place is so, so haunted, Shell. I cannot wait to tell you all the many and varied stories. There is a cryptid in the pond nearby. There's rumored satanic rituals that happen there. And I started here because of a lady in white story. You and your damn lady of white stories. They're everywhere. They're everywhere, Shell. I love them. I, I practically collect them like playing cards. Bloody FM presents Hometown Ghost Stories, a paranormal podcast that investigates a new town every week, bringing you all the hauntings, from haunted houses to castles, bridges to asylums, wandering spirits to demons. Over 100 episodes covering different towns all over the world. Tune in to Hometown Ghost Stories live on YouTube every Tuesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern or on any podcast platform and find out if your hometown is haunted. I don't know which you get more of a kick out of, lady in white stories or orbs. Oh, there's orbs here too. And there's fun <laughs> orbs. I love this place. We have to go here. But what are you talking about today, Shell? So, you know, I, I, I've kind of geared off course lately. I did some true crime, which for me is just crazy. Yeah, you normally stay away from that. It's a little too sensitive. You like to stay with the ghosties and the cryptids. The true crime is, is definitely a you thing, but... I'm taking it back to what I love the absolute most, and that's cryptids. That's my cryptid queen. Oh my God, I would laugh my ass off if my cryptid is the one from your story. Is it in Illinois? It comes from like any of the Appalachian area, and that's Mm. quite a large area. Does it have two heads, and does it come out of a body of water? No. Mm. Then not mine. It might purr a little bit. What? A purring cryptid? Hold on. Yeah. It's called a wampus cat. A wampus cat? A wampus cat. 
That sounds awesome. It is awesome. And actually, one of the cool parts about this story, and we'll get into it, but you're going to go first, but is that they originally, the Cherokee said that it was once a beautiful Cherokee woman that oh. turned into this thing. So, oh, so that yeah. sounds like an interesting backstory, but a kitty. I love kitty kitties. I want to love How kitty. could you not love kitty cats? I want a tiger as a pet. Me too. Why is it bad? Anyway. So, take me to the cemetery. I'm All intrigued. right. Oh my goodness. This is like the biggest story. I had to stop, Shell, because there are hundreds of people's experiences and local legends and stories regarding this most haunted cemetery. Is this like, so this is like a big deal in Illinois? It seems to be very well known. It has been covered by several famous ghost explorer people. You can find videos on History Channel, Travel Channel, and of course on YouTube because there are orbs everywhere and the stories are just so wild. And the things people see when they go there, amazing. All right. So let's start at the beginning. So first of all, again, this is a place, it's uh, located in a forest preserve in the district of Cook County. So it's surrounded by dense woods. It's not in the middle of town or anything. It's kind of out there in the middle of nowhere. Aren't they always? (laughs) The good ones are. The good ones are. Do you know when the cemetery... I don't want to say opened, that's weird, but do you know when the cemetery like opened? The exact date is not known. However, they do know that it's one of the first in the area and that it predates most of the settlements and the laws and things, the requirements in that area. The first documentation of it is from a family called the Everton family. And it was originally a large farm that had been settled by this family. When they sold it to the Schmidt family in 1865, that's the first known reference to it as a cemetery. And in the deed, it was written that the farm was sold to the Schmidt family except for a one-acre plot that was to be used as a cemetery. Now, this cemetery, the name of it is called Bachelor's Grove. And the reason it's called Bachelor's Grove is because uh, local history says that prior to these farms being there, the land had originally been settled by people that were moving west and settled in Illinois. Apparently, it was pretty common for large groups of bachelors to go out and settle land together and would actually form these groups. It happened so often that they called it Keeping Bachelors Hall. And basically, it described an area where these men would go settle and then they would build houses and stuff. And some of them, like a group that supposedly had originally settled in this area in Illinois, they would take vows where they would never marry and they were going to stay bachelors forever. And so on the site where this Bachelors Grove Cemetery was, was originally a settlement that had these men there. Now, most of them broke that vow and did leave and marry. The ones that didn't were the ones that had died young and were buried on that land usually with like a wooden cross or some other temporary form of marker. So it was colloquially called Bachelor's Grove because of that reason. Then it became the farm and traded hands. And the first recorded burial was Eliza Scott, who was buried there in 1844. So it's been a cemetery for as long as anyone can remember. Originally going way back to when the first settlers were there, so far that the first graves were just wooden and no longer exist. It's even rumored to have originally been a Native American burial site. However, that's a pretty common myth for a lot of things up and down the East Coast. And there's no proof 
there's no proof that that ever was. But there's no proof that it wasn't either because there That's was right. such dense Native American populations really all across America, not even just the East Coast. Now, a lot of places that were sacred to the Native people that were here, you know, you can feel the energy in some of these places that were used as um, sacred spaces or as burial right. grounds. And this is one of those places where people that are sensitive, anybody pretty much when they get to this area can describe kind of a strange feeling. Like in a negative way or just in a I feel energy way? Both, mostly in a negative way, but people kind of feel like an electricity in the air, some type of energy in the air when they kind of walk into the area. Oh. And it's very small. It's about an acre in size and there's a pond next to it. And for the most part, it was pretty quiet. There aren't a lot of ghostly sightings or anything until the 60s and 70s. Dun, dun, dun. Why does everything happen in the freaking 70s, man? Well, this has a specific reason why. Basically, after, you know, it was used as a cemetery for a short period of time. And then in the early, I believe it was the early 1900s was the last known burial. I think it was like 1944-ish. There's about 82 graves there, give or take. In the late 60s, early 70s, it became a teenage spot where they would go there and literally dig up graves, knock over the headstones, um, and throw the headstones into the nearby pond. And some of these headstones have even been found in nearby towns. Some of them were sold. Don't ask us why you're cursed. And that's exactly why the graveyard started to be haunted. Shortly after these desecrations happened is when people started reporting seeing a house that would kind of like look shimmery in the distance. And they would, most people describe it as like a white house, you know, looked almost like a heat shimmer, like a heat vision, okay. had one small light in a window and people all describe it very, very similarly. But as you got closer to it, it would fade away. Oh. It always looked the same, whether it was daytime, nighttime, no matter what the weather was. It was always described as an old, white, two-story farmhouse with the wraparound wooden porch and a porch swing and one light on next to the door in the window. That's so weird. Right? And it didn't happen until after the vandalism started. So some people, they feel that the, the house itself is also tied to another ghost called the caretaker that also appears. And he seems to be an older man that doesn't talk, but looks very disapproving and points the way out of the cemetery. Uh -huh. And very often, uh, you know, people will describe seeing him when they're lost in the cemetery. And he just looks very disapproving and like points the way out. And then if they turn around and look back, he's always gone. So they think that the house might be related to the ghost of the caretaker. But it's the house is so common that it's been described in newspaper articles. And there's also a couple books about the area that detail people's experiences seeing this house in the distance that just disappears as they get close to it. Now, the story that brought me to this cemetery was a lady in white story that's very often called the Madonna of Bachelor's Grove. No, Madonna. I, I, I'm sorry. Madonna is starting a tour and she's coming to Boston and all I can think of is Madonna. <laughs> She'd probably love a good cemetery, but right? this poor lady is rumored to be a woman whose little girl also died as an infant. And she's rumored to wander the cemetery looking for her. And her ghost will very often be seen, particularly on full moon nights, walking through the cemetery, dressed all in white, searching. She looks very sad and is as if she's searching for something. And if you follow her through the cemetery, she disappears over top of the same grave every time. And it's a very small stone, and it's only marked infant daughter. Oh. 
This ghost has actually been photographed and is the most famous ghost of the cemetery. In, um, I believe it was in 1991, she was photographed by a woman who did ghost hunting, went there and was taking some photographs. Of course, didn't see it at the time until she got home and developed the pictures. And you can very clearly see a woman sitting on one of the gravestones. It's probably the most clear picture of a ghost that I have ever seen in my life. And if you look very closely, it looks like she might be holding a child in her arms. People say that they'll see this woman dressed in white, either sitting on a gravestone or standing by the trees or walking through the cemetery, always dressed in white. And she's often described looking very peaceful, but very sad. They say that she, you know, you can see her kind of glowing as she goes through the cemetery and is sometimes accompanied by orbs. So there's a lot of different confusion and different theories about who she might be. She's not considered malevolent at all. People find her very comforting. Some people even report feeling like a sense of peace after they have seen her, even though her story is pretty sad. The locals refer to her as Mrs. Rogers. (laughs) And I think that's because in lot 15, which is very, very close to where that infant daughter headstone is, Uh a woman named Luella Rogers is buried there. And so some people think that maybe Luella Rogers is the mother of the infant daughter. But there's no there's no proof of that. Oh, 1991, this picture of the ghost ran in the Chicago Sun-Times newspaper. They are the ones that call it the Madonna of Bachelors Grove. But, you know, she's a, a common white lady ghost that's seen going through there. And, and again, similar to other white lady stories, she's searching for a lost child and she's very sad. Uh, local officers in 1998 were quoted in, a, in an interview saying that they had seen a woman dressed all in white walking through the cemetery holding a baby in her arms and she disappeared. And she was seen by all three officers that had gone there to investigate a disturbance, but they didn't report it because they figured they'd be laughed at by their colleagues. So they were willing to talk about it to the reporter, but they said they never reported it officially because they didn't want to get laughed at. But all three of them saw the ghost. There's also another common thing that people... Now, I said there's a pond right next to the cemetery. Right. And you said there was a cryptid. There is a cryptid. We'll get to that guy in just a second. But this pond has some really weird things about it. The first one is a ghost. People will see a ghostly horse come up out of the pond, dragging behind it a plow that's held by a farmer ghost that then walks off into the distance. Apparently, it was first seen by two Cook County forest rangers in the late 70s, and they actually did report it. And other people have come forward with seeing a ghostly horse and a ghostly farmer. The origins of that legend is that in the 1870s, back when it was farmland, a local farmer had gotten entangled in his plow and was pulled into the pond and drowned. Oh, so they're saying that that's the origins of that legend. But how often do you see a horse ghost? I mean, other than the headless horseman, really. If someone says it's weird, I saw a horse and come out of that pond. <laughs> then you know, they probably saw it because if they don't know about it, seeing a horse ghost isn't something that's very common. Well, not really, no. So the pond also has a very dark history because local legend says that that cemetery and pond was used back in the 20s and 30s as a killing ground by the mob. Oh, local legend says that, you know, the mobsters in Chicago would take people out to that cemetery, kill them and throw them into the pond. During the Prohibition era, I guess it was a pretty well-known dumping ground uh, used by shady people. (laughs) So (laughs) nowadays, one of the other ghosts that people will very often see is an old timey mobster style car 
flying down these dirt roads really fast and taking the corners way too fast to be safe. And often, (laughs) and as it goes out of sight around the corner, people report hearing it crash. And then when they get there to try and help, there's nothing there. There's even a police report of a young couple that had gone out there to kind of make out. And they said that they had gotten into an accident with a uh, an old fashioned 19, you know, 30s looking car that had come around, crashed into them. Oh, no shit. And they said they passed out. When they came to, they were just pulled over on the side of the road and there was nothing. But they had heard the crashing metal, the breaking glass, but there was no other car. There was no damage to their car. And they were just sitting there on the side of the road. That kind of fuck with my head a little bit, not going to lie. So seeing that car is, is pretty common. Now, there's no proof that that was a body dumping ground of the mobsters, but it is a pretty prevalent local legend. So the only thing I could find about the cryptid of the pond was a very, very old, uh, kind of like a fluff piece, probably from the 1980s. You know how sometimes like daytime television around Halloween will take people out to a local haunted spot? Yeah. It seemed kind of like an interview like that. And in that interview, the caretaker of the cemetery at the time says that there's a local cryptid legend where a two-headed monster lives in that pond. And on the dark of the moon, climbs up out of the pond and crosses the main road that's right there to go across into the fields and go hunting. But I couldn't find very much else about it. That was the only reference I saw of it. Interesting. Interesting. There's more. There's a black dog ghost that's rumored to be around there. Does he hang out with a horse ghost? I don't think so. But the the first uh, known sightings of this black dog ghost are from the 1980s. A couple young men that were out there ghost hunting saw some flickering lights and then saw a really large black dog in the bushes. And then when they went to try and go find it, there was nothing there and no markings to show that any dog had been there at all. There's always sightings that looks like a very large black dog. Some people say it's a Doberman or a Rottweiler. Um, I imagine it depends on what the popular scary dog is of the time. Right, right. And I'm surprised I'm surprised it's not a wolf. Everyone describes a very large black dog that's oddly silent, that comes up out of nowhere and then disappears just the same way. And people who go there to walk their dogs will often report that their dog will refuse to go. They just won't go in the cemetery. They'll just sit down oh. and not go. I want to go. <laughs> <laughs> now there's also orbs. Blue orbs, orange orbs, and also a very unusual orb that's been described by multiple people as a red light, like a red orb that kind of streaks down the road that goes to the cemetery. I've never really heard a lot about red orbs. What the fuck is that? Usually it's like green or blue or yellow or white. I've never heard of a red orb. Do tell. Now, a lot of people describe it as a red as a red orb with a streak, almost like somebody's shooting like, like a, a rocket. Like a comet going across the sky or something? But more an orb form and lower. Right. But almost more like those fireworks that you can shoot that's like a sparkly ball. Yeah. And that's what some people said it probably is, is, is kids playing tricks with fireworks. Except for the fact that these orbs will streak down the road, turn, and come back. And I'm pretty sure fireworks can't do that. You know, it could be aliens. I'm just saying. There is an alien story. <laughs> There's even alien abductions that happen here. I'm pretty sure this really is the most haunted cemetery in the USA. Okay, so maybe these people really got what it takes to be on. We've got the most of the most in the world. 
There are so many orb stories. I can't even tell you all of them. I'm going to tell you a UFO story. This was by a gentleman named Randy. And he says in 1982, he was at the cemetery at the cemetery. Oh, no shit. So he and his friends were driving out to the cemetery. He says when suddenly a fog came up out of nowhere that was so thick, they could barely see the road in front of them. Then out of the fog came a really bright light, like almost like a truck with really bright lights was coming straight at them. But they were on a dirt road out in the middle of nowhere and they didn't expect any other traffic at all. But so this bright light's coming straight at them. And that's the last thing they all remember. He says the next thing they remember, they're coming out of the fog and realize they're a good 200 yards further than they thought they were going to be. And 20 minutes has passed by. It reminds me of Close Encounters of the Third Kind. All of them say the only thing they remember is the fog coming up suddenly and then this bright light. And they all described it strangely as a, they all thought it was a really weird bright gas station sign. That's weird. That is weird. And he says afterwards, he started experiencing severe PTSD and he wasn't sure why. And he's been through a lot of therapy. And he's pretty sure at this point, after having read some other people's encounters, that what he experienced was a UFO abduction. He was probed, wasn't he? Quite possibly. He says he still has PTSD from it. But people describe seeing um, this. another woman named Mary said that she and her brother were there in 2001 and they saw the woman in white. They were outside of the cemetery and they saw her inside the fence dressed in white. They said she was blonde hair, long white gown, and she was walking along the path, stopped and looked at them and disappeared. Can we go? I want to go, Layla. I want to, too. These other people, <laughs> this gentleman named Len Novak who eventually became the director of the Illinois Ghost Society, which is in Chicago Ridge, Illinois. He says that in 2005, he and a few other friends went out to Bachelor Grove Cemetery to do a little, you know, ghost hunting. As they were walking out to the cemetery on the dirt road going to it, they saw a woman and a a young girl. And he said they were dressed a little oddly, but it was close to Halloween. So everyone just assumed it was kind of a costume. But it was after 10 o'clock at night, and this is in the middle of nowhere, and the kid was really little, like six or seven. So they thought it was a little weird that she was taking her kid to a cemetery that late at night. When they got up to Don't her- Don't judge people. Don't right? judge. <laughs> Who hasn't taken their young child dressed in a Halloween costume out to a cemetery late at night? I mean, really. Been there, done that. <laughs> so when they get up to the woman, she asked them how far the cemetery was and if they knew what direction. And they said yes and pointed the direction of the cemetery. And she walked past them down the path. They started talking amongst themselves and, and all of them came to the conclusion that it was really weird. Looked up to, you know, kind of look at the woman and she's gone. It was just a couple seconds had passed and the woman and child walking down the path. There was nowhere for them to have gone. The path was wide and long. They just disappeared. And that was when they realized as they were walking down the path, the fall leaves were making a ton of noise and the woman and the child had made none as they walked by. Oh shit. Right. So he says after that is when he and his best friend founded the Illinois ghost society. (laughs) But yeah, so there's experiences everywhere, including they are the most haunted in America. Maybe they are. I guess the town has gone into the pond with divers and pulled out a lot of these headstones to try and preserve them and try and take care of it. But the, because of all the, the vandalism that happened there, I think these spirits are pretty restless. 
pretty pissed off. Pretty pissed off. There's even reports of people going home with ghosts. I read one experience a woman named Becky wrote. She said that when she and her friends went there, nothing happened. Not a thing. They were quite disappointed. But as soon as she got home. Different story. Different story. She says, as soon as she got home that night, things would move across the table. The door handles would, were jiggling on the house. She says, uh, stuff would fall off the table in the other room where no one was. Oh, wow. She says that they could also hear what sounded like her young daughter running and laughing upstairs in the house. But it would happen when her daughter either wasn't home or was right there beside her downstairs. Things kind of continued like this for a little while. Weird stuff falling off the shelves in other rooms, things moving around and being missing. But they decided to do something about it when one day her daughter had gotten up from a nap and had a snack and gone upstairs to play. When she started to hear what sounded like running and laughing, but by two children, not just one. Oh, shit. So she goes running upstairs into her daughter's room to see her daughter sitting at a table playing tea party with some dolls. And she starts to think maybe she's overreacting. She asks her daughter what she's doing, and she says she's playing dolls with her new friend. The woman thinks everything's okay until she notices the doll on the opposite side of the table start to move and slide off the chair. But it didn't just fall off the chair like it was sitting on the edge. It slid slowly, like a very controlled fall, all the way to the floor. She says she could barely take her eyes off the doll because it was creeping her out so badly. But then her daughter started talking in a really strange voice. She said, her name is Sally. And then immediately went rigid, like stock still stiff, and her eyes rolled back into her head. And she just stopped moving completely. Oh, wow. This woman says she practically teleported the few feet from the door to the center of the room where her daughter was. And as soon as she touched her daughter, she immediately relaxed, yawned and stretched like nothing had happened and acted like she had just gotten up from her nap and didn't remember anything from the time she'd gotten up from her nap a little over an hour before until now. So they decided that was when, you know, maybe they should do an exorcism and get rid of the ghosts. <laughs> Why do we always jump right to exorcisms here? I don't know. But maybe they were just a little scared because it was with their kid. Not sure. But yeah, so that's when they decided they maybe they brought something back from the cemetery and needed to do something about it. Same thing we've experienced when we've gone to some of these places, you know, people whose car batteries wouldn't start. More reports of batteries dying and electronics not working in that area than I can even count. And orb photos to satisfy my little orb-loving heart. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, we should go there. We need to set up our equipment and catch all of these ghosts and hopefully get more information on this mysterious supposed cryptid. So that's it. That's my The Most Haunted Cemetery in America story. America! Yeah, bullshit. They've got like one of every popular ghost story. I mean, they've got the ghost dog, the lady in white. They've got the... UFOs. UFOs, teenagers. Or- yeah. Supposedly the, the teenagers that did all those that damage did like fake satanic I feel, I rituals. Feel like the, only, the only thing they're missing is Jason Voorhees in the pond. Right? And that caretaker ghost is almost kind of like Jason Voorhees, I guess. He just points the way out instead of murdering you. Now, I am very intrigued and I would love to go to this place. This is like this is like my ultimate fuck around and find out because if I'm not getting abducted, I'm getting spooked or I'm getting pulled into the gates of hell. Right? Either way, it's going to be a fun night. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> no matter how this rolls, it's, it's a party. Fun. It's a party. I feel like my story is a little more frightening. Okay. Do tell. Do tell. So I've got the wampus cat here. I love it. How can a wampus cat be frightening? Come on. He's a kitty kitty. All I got to say is I love these cryptid names. (laughs) I really do. I don't even know who comes up with them, but I love them. This is one of those things where... I actually kind of got annoyed researching the wampus cat. How so? There's a lot of different, the stories aren't all meshing together. Mm. What is consistent? Let me start with what's consistent. This is some sort of creature from the Appalachian Mountains. So anywhere pretty much in Appalachia, you can hear stories of the wampus cat. Anywhere from Tennessee to all the way up into Ohio, Ohio Valley. Most stories describe it as what it sounds like, a cat. But I did find a story where they described it as half cat, half dog, half human, which, by the way, half, you can't divide half. (laughs) That's three three. half, Shell. The math's not math in here. I'm just telling you what the story said, and I'm criticizing (laughs) their bad math. So it sounded like it was actually broken up into thirds, A, a woman, a cat, and a dog. I love kitty cats, so I like to stick with the cat version. (laughs) So, you know, conflicting stories from the beginning right down to the description. Backstories conflicting, current stories conflicting. But the one thing is that are definitely all the same is there is some sort of creature in Appalachia that is like a cat-like creature that you really don't want to encounter. Isn't that area pretty heavily wooded? Oh, oh, absolutely. Dense woods. The Appalachian Trail runs through there. It's very mountainous, very wooded. Um, You've got a lot of like federal forest land in there, a lot of state forest land. So lots of places for a half woman, half dog, half cat to hide. To hide. <laughs> As one of the stories go, and this is kind of a predominant story, you see this one the most, is that this is from where the Cherokee are from. So one of the stories, and like I said, this is kind of the predominant story that you'll find, is that back when the Cherokee tribes were occupying that land, when that was their homeland, they would, the men would hunt. The women were kind of more the stay back, you know, take care of the hearth and home, and the men were kind of the hunter-gatherers. So the men had rituals involved in hunting they would thank the animals for their sacrifice before killing them for food, things of that nature. The way the story can go, mostly, is that the wampus cat was actually once a beautiful Cherokee woman. And her deal was is that her husband would often leave the village and go out with the other men and go hunting to bring back food. And she knew that the men would gather in the woods. You know, they'd ask for forgiveness for the lives of the animals. um, And they would seek supernatural help in their tasks. Okay. The women were forbidden from ever seeing these sacred rites. So guess what this chick was like? Yeah, no, I want to know. I'm nosy. Nosy Rosie. So she got an idea. She wanted to see what the secret was because she would always torment him and be like, what are you guys doing? You know, what are these sacred rituals? And he'd be like, Nanya, mind your business. This isn't anything you're allowed to know. And it bugged her. So she was consumed by her curiosity. 
she knew that they were having these these secret magic rites and she wanted to know. So what she did one night was she wrapped herself in a cougar skin. Oh, no. I can see where this is going. Right? So she wraps herself in a cougar skin one night. You know, the men set out into the forest to go hunting and do their their hunting rituals. She wraps herself in a cougar skin, quietly creeps through the woods, and, and kind of follows behind. The men had all gathered in a clearing in the forest. So she hides behind a rock and is kind of watching, seeing the secrets that she wanted to see. And she kept creeping closer and closer and closer. Oh, no. Well, you know, nobody's good at hiding to an extent. She gets closer, closer, closer. She got so close. They call it a sorcerer. And I don't know why they called it a sorcerer in these articles I read. But they said that the, the Cherokee sorcerer leading the rituals spotted her. And immediately saw, you know, through the cougar skin disguise, realized, you know, it was a woman. So the men of the tribe grabbed her and dragged her into the middle of their ritual circle. Oh, no. As punishment for breaking the taboo, um, because, again, it was taboo for women to be a part of this. The sorcerer cast a spell on the woman and the cougar skin that she had wrapped around herself became her own skin. Oh, no. She should have stayed in the cheap seats. Yeah, stayed right? back further and not gotten seen. That's the thing. She kept creeping closer and closer and closer and gave her damn self away. So she became this like strange mix of a cougar and a woman. And she was cursed to live forever. Um, she was going to be immortal. They cursed her to be immortal, living alone forever in the woods, never again to enjoy human company. Well, that's sad. That's kind of a harsh punishment. So this wampus cat, is essentially supposed to be the beautiful Cherokee woman who was cursed into her cougar skin. The true definition of a cougar. <laughs> the first cougar. Right? So, you know, she is said to, to roam the Appalachian Mountains at night, traveling up and down the hills and in and out of the valleys, kind of wandering forever alone in those mountains and forest Aww. regions. That's so sad. So she steals animals, ruins things from the farm, and they say that she's acting out in anger. The funny thing is, basically, this story kind of came to light in like the early 1900s. So this particular story about the Cherokee woman was not prevalent prior to the early 1900s. This just kind of came out of nowhere. But the folklore of this creature goes back beyond the story of the Cherokee woman. Oh, okay. So, so like the Cherokee woman story is relatively recent and there's more history to it. Correct. Oh, okay. There is a word and you know how I am with words. Everybody knows how I am with words. I'm probably saying it wrong. It's called a catawampus and a catawampus is a word used to describe the idea of an unknown animal lurking in the woods and something to blame any unusual event on. Somewhere, maybe it was a TV show or something, I've heard somebody say people going all catawampus, and it just means like going crazy. Yeah, and apparently- I think I've heard that phrase before, like on a TV show or something. Yeah, so apparently that word actually means an unknown animal lurking in the woods, and that's originally what they would call this creature is a catawampus. And that was before the Cherokee story came out. I see. I see. It actually, a catawampus is like 
And basically, it's like some strange, unknown creature that doesn't necessarily relate to a cat, I guess. Okay. Yeah, catawampus is a is a just a word. It doesn't necessarily mean actual cat, right? Right. Did they describe the catawampus? There are, depending on where you look at different articles online, you can find pictures of it. And it looks like a badass cat, like a cougar woman who just wants to rip your throat out. Oh, wow. How big is it? It is actually almost the size of a, what are those barrel dogs? St. Bernard's? Like a St. Bernard kind of dog. Oh my goodness. It's it's large. It's large. It's probably a good six, seven feet long. That's a big dog. Those St. Bernard's. Not including the tail. So a cat that size, that's pretty huge. A lot of the stories actually, even though you can hear stories about it all up and down Appalachia, it seems like a lot of them are centered um, around North Carolina area. Even to this day, People will hear growls and moans and cries, and they say that it's the wampus cat crying, missing that human companionship. Does it attack people? It doesn't attack people, but it attacks animals. So you could have your little old farm in the middle of the woods out there, and all of a sudden your shit's gone in the morning and there's nothing but a blood trail. The authorities are going to blame it on a wampus cat. I gotcha. Wow. Like I said, I found another story that then called it a a part dog, part human, part cat. I don't know where the twist in that story is, but what I did realize is that some of the stories are, are a little different depending on where in Appalachia they're being told. And I think there's just, I think it might more be a general term. I think there's a bunch of mysterious shit going on in Appalachia that we don't know, and we're just all calling it a wampus cat. I think that place is riddled with cryptids, and they're just calling them a wampus cat, because I have read another story that it almost sounded like a Bigfoot sighting, and we have yet to do our Bigfoot story. We're getting there. But as you know, there has been Bigfoot sightings as far down in the eastern United States as Appalachia, North Carolina, Tennessee area. There has been some of these stories that I found where the physical description sounds like Bigfoot and they're calling it a wampus cat. It seems like it's a catch-all term. Like I think so. There might be a a cat-looking creature that's one of the cryptids that's in that kind of wampus cat category, but it sounds like it's a catch-all for mysterious things that they don't know what it is in those deep, dense woods in Appalachia. Because it sounds like in Arkansas and Missouri, that's where they're kind of giving it more of the half dog, half cat creature. And I mean, all of them make it sound like it can run erect or on all fours. Creepy. Just that's saying. Very if, creepy. If a cat is running at me on two legs, I'm flipping shit. If a cat's as big as a St. Bernard I'm and it's running shit. towards me in any way, I'm definitely flipping shit. Because again, it's it's described with like specifically like cougar like features. Like we aren't talking my little kitty cat sitting on my lap here. So when we go camp off the Appalachian Trail, you're <laughs> saying we need to bring bear spray and catnip, <laughs> basically. But they say a lot of the sightings are either just after dark or right before dawn. They call it a howling evil creature. Some say it has bright yellow eyes. Some say it has bright green eyes. But it can supposedly pierce the hearts and souls of those who cross its path, wow. driving them to the edge of sanity. That sounds What's really that creepy. Just looking at it is enough to make you crazy is what they're saying? I guess so, because there's another story that they call it the evil demon Ewa. 
the spirit of madness that terrorizes all of Appalachia. It's just a lap cat. Yeah, right. Just a curious woman in a cat coat. <laughs> this story um, also kind of is is very specific to the North Carolina region of Appalachia. But they basically say that the Ewa feasts on the dreams of the Cherokee children. Um, and like this is some badass evil demon. Yeah, so, I was thinking maybe we could just go out there and bring some weed, some wine, you know, some chocolate, know. And some chick flicks, and maybe things would be kosher. But, you know, if they're feeding on the dreams of children, that, that doesn't sound like anything that's going to be fixed by a girl's night out. It's definitely freaky. Yeah, freaky. yeah, very freaky. We'd have and, to go camping and see if we can capture at least one of these many different cryptids. But there has been stories of this creature as recently as 1999. They called it, uh, the person who saw it, they described it as a cat spirit mask. Okay. I don't know what that means. I don't know what that means either, but okay. But they thought that they saw it tear itself apart and kind of reform again. So there are stories that it can be kind of almost like shape-shifting. Like a shape-shifter. That would make sense with the whole woman in an animal skin gets turned into a creature. That would make sense that it's some type of shape-shifter. There are shamans and war chiefs that have described a story of a native woman called Running Deer, the spirit talker, and they think that the wampus cat is her spirit. Um, So there's just the origin stories are just really kind of all over the place with this one. And I kind of like the more I looked, the more I found that didn't relate to what I had just found previously. <laughs> it it really does sound like what you said earlier that catawampus. Yeah, it's a catch all that it, it really has, you know, because they're so hard to find and so hard to see a lot of times in these areas. They don't have enough information. So everything's just kind of lumped together under one thing. And the thing is, is in, you know, Appalachia, there are cougars, there are mountain lions, there are bears, for God's sakes. You know, who's to say a lot of these things are more like, okay, let's say in like the 1930s, 1940s, if you came across a cougar in the woods wouldn't you maybe describe it as trying to rip your soul out? Maybe. Because you were so scared and, and fearful. If you've ever heard a cougar scream, heck, if you've ever heard a deer or a rabbit scream, they can sound like women and they can sound like a person screaming and it can be a pretty eerie, scary sound. But I'm just saying, I think maybe that fright you're sure. so scared that you feel like it's trying to pull your soul out of you. I am sure that the cat ain't trying to pull your soul out of you, people. But you might be so scared it feels that way. Yeah, and if it's dusk or dawn and you you see that cougar that scared you so much, you hear that scream, you know, who knows where their minds might have gone. So I don't know. Not enough evidence on this one, but definitely a hunt I'd like to go on. One last point I just wanted to make to you. You want to know what they describe its tail like? Oh, what? A ball-like formation that's covered with sharp quills or spikes. That's terrible. That's awful. No, no. Oh, kitty kitty should have a nice big floofy tail. Not a spiky ball tail. That's awful. But do you see how it's like I went to five different sites, saw five different stories. It's like the more I looked into it, the more I found about different. I just think I I think Wampus Cat's a catch-all. I think it's a catch-all that people think is one cryptid and it's not. I don't want to say I was disappointed, but 
I feel like it is not one animal, but it might be a way to describe undescribable animals in Appalachia. Yeah. Yeah. There's so many different ones and, and there's not enough information to kind of classify them by themselves. So they just put it all under the one. Interesting. And anything, though. anything cat like because of the mountain lions and because of the cougars, there are cat creatures in Appalachia. Right. And just because they, I think just people are scared and they're trying to turn it into some supernatural animal that might not be supernatural. Right. I think this is like the Amityville of cryptids. Oh, okay. Oh, so a stamp of disapproval from Shell. Yeah. I still want to go camp there. <laughs> oh, I totally want to go camp there. But I'm just, I just think the Wampus Cat is a catch-all for something that goes bump in the night in the woods. Interesting. I like it. Well, definitely a very cool backstory on the Wampus Cat. <laughs> but I'm not saying that it's not a beautiful Cherokee woman. I'm just saying that I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't think it's a beautiful Cherokee woman. Maybe it's a handful of cryptids that have yet to be found enough to uh, get their own classification. Absolutely. Because like I said, one of the stories I found, I am almost sure is shit that what they were really describing was a Bigfoot sighting. Interesting. Very, very cool. Well, on our around the country tour show, we will go camping in these mountains and see what we can get pictures of. Definitely go cryptid hunting. Even though it's all of Appalachia, it sounds like really the hot spot is the North Carolina portion of the Appalachian Mountains. All right, I'm putting that on our our little list Dude, right our, now. Our to-go list. Our to-go, our, yes. Our across-country paranormal cryptid haunted tour with Layla and Shell. Sponsored by Snack Factory Pretzel Crisps. <laughs> <laughs> it's not really. We wish it were. That's we why we wish. I don't have any Snack Factory Pretzel Crisps, and I'm kind of hungry. I've smoked all my weed, and I have the munchies. So I think. I think we're about to wrap this up. Yeah, I think we should wrap this up. Yeah. So we're going to go camping at your place and uh, probably not be too spooked, except we'll probably get so high. We're going to jump at every little noise and every little stick cracking in the woods. I want to take the Ouija board to your place and fuck around and find out. Oh, I yeah. Wanna, I either want to get probed, abducted, taken into the gates of hell. This place has it all. Maybe we'll see Al Capone careening around a corner in an old-timey mobster car. Or I, I can see a cryptid face-to-face. Yeah, that cryptid I really want to do some more research on because it was so elusive. I kept seeing little tiny hints to it, but... Other than that old newsreel, I didn't really get any substantial information. So I'm I quite have this curious. Vision, I have this vision of like a two-headed Loch Ness. If anyone is from that area, I'm curious about ley lines. I'm curious about other energies in the area. Because for a place to have so many different archetypes, you've got the black dog that's like the protector of places. And you've got the lady in white. You have the... Orbs. You've got the orbs everywhere. You've got the Native American backstory. You've got the weird farmer and the horse coming out of the pond. There have been numerous deaths and things there. The mobster story. There's just so many stories that have There's that as a focal point. Sort of, yeah. Yeah. yeah and it's such a small area. It's a one acre plot that has like 82-ish graves in it, most of which unfortunately have been desecrated and damaged. How could it have so many you know, they haven't called it the gateway to hell yet. I'm just waiting for that. It is the most haunted cemetery, but it's just an interesting nexus point of so many things. 
I'm curious. Any listeners in the Illinois area? Do tell. Do tell. We're yeah. nosy. Let us know. And Kay, we're so glad you dumped that terrible ex of yours. Hopefully any weed experiences going forward will be much more fun and thoughtful. And uh, for the rest of you, join us next week on Wednesday at 4.20 a.m. as we tell two more ghosty paranormal stories from across the USA. If you have any place like Kay that you want us to investigate, go ahead and email us at thestonedwitcheshour at gmail.com or check us out on our Instagram where you can find more information about Shell's itchy ass spell <laughs> at the Stoned Witches. And uh, it's February 1st, so that means happy in bulk to all of you and happy birthday to me. We'll see you next week. Peace out. Stay high, stay happy. Happy in bulk from the Stoned Witches Hour.